Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Timo Bustaley, and joining me to review all the action from this weekend's F1 Academy finale in Austin, Texas, is Jesse Billington. How are you? Well, I, I'm doing all right, but I'm not really here to review it. I'm here to be the the thinking man's idiot and um, have everything explained to me because I didn't really get a chance to watch any of the action from Austin. I saw the F1 stuff, but unfortunately I was a little preoccupied with my girlfriend's birthday, so I wasn't able to glue myself to the settee and uh, pay full attention to this. So you've got a great chance to actually explain what went down, Timo. You'd also have the chance to be ever so slightly useful because before we get to F1 Academy, we do have what the hell has happened and we do have a bit of Felix series news and not exclusively from the world of F1 Academy, although that is where I will start because Megan Jokes will not race in F1 Academy in 2024. She will retire from racing altogether and focus on becoming the best engineer possible as she finishes university and prepares to work for Aston Martin, the F1 team, not just Aston Martin generally, who have hired her for when she's ready following a placement with the team. And quite interesting development there, and kind of proof that F1 Academy is, yes, very much about the drivers and making sure they get the opportunities that they, they deserve, but also that there's potential opportunities for you in many other areas in motorsport, and kind of takes big kahunas to decide to say it's I'm going to call it a day on my racing career and I'm going to go into this area instead. I think it definitely takes a, a big ask to do that sort of thing but equally at the same time it's it's great to see that F1 Academy has got the kudos and the appreciation from the big teams to go okay we've got some interesting people here with interesting skill sets where can we hire them these are interesting people with valuable skills that we can hire regardless of gender they've looked sort of beyond that and that's the whole point of what f1 academy had set out to mm. achieve was simply put on a showcase of talent not necessarily put on a showcase of gender and this is something we did see a bit of with the sort of series predecessor in a way w series i think i'm right in saying that cleo collins who is a yeah, she was mechanic, WC mechanic and now she's moving her way up through the ranks at, at Alpine. Like she's so. now a lead mechanic over at Alpine. And yeah, again, it's this argument that if you put women in these roles and you find they're good at them, they're simply going to progress up the ladder when you sort of ignore the whole gender aspect of it. And Formula One is certainly, on the face of it at least, with headlines like this, getting better. I think there's, there's still a long way to go. We can't sort of rest on our laurels, but it's great to see that it's having these positive impacts and especially F1 Academy having it so early on in its, in its nascence, as it were. More wrinkle in that story though is that it means there is one less driver in the competition for those F1 team-ups next year because you would have assumed if she had stayed there, she would have been Aston Martin's obvious choice. Now they cannot choose her, Aston Martin will have to choose another driver and if we assume that and somewhat logically, they don't choose any of the potential rookies that are going to come in. That's potentially good news for the drivers that do stay for next year, particularly as we have Mado Garcia, who will go elsewhere, possibly will know by the time of the Mexican preview recording. Nina Bula won't be able to stay because she ages out. Megan Jokes is now obviously leaving. Harry Shrine is a bit of an unknown because of her age as well. She'll be 20. She's 25 now, will be 26 halfway through next season. So whether or not she gets to even start the season is another matter entirely. And obviously Bianca Bustamante has joined McLaren. So you've got pulling, five drivers. We've with... got about nine teams with maybe 10 drivers to mm. roughly work with, which it's good for them in a way because it means that potentially everyone will get something that they deserve. Because again, it's for a season where it's obviously not all been broadcast live, you would like to be able to see the drivers that have 
helped found this series get the recognition from the F1 teams, regardless of what happens to them afterwards, at least give them that one year of having an association so that even if they go off in uh, 10 different directions afterwards, none of which are Formula 1, they've had that immediate association. Mm. Yeah, we mentioned Bianca Bustamante, obviously now a development driver with, uh, or under driver development rather, with McLaren. Um, Abby Pulling, we know, is linked to Alpine, and I believe there's yes, one of them the is one linked... Uh, someone's got a link with Sauber as well. I can't remember who. Oh, it was Lena Buhler. Le- so, Buhler, yeah. again, as she can't come back, that means that there's another team open for, for the other drivers there. And if Abby Pulling gets moved up into a different category, then that also opens up Alpine potentially as well, which from a neutral perspective, you kind of want to happen because A, Abby Pulling progresses, and we've kind of argued before that she deserves that, and B, it means there's another team available for another driver on the grid. Yeah, there's there's plenty of good opportunities that are starting to come out of the series, and yeah, it's it, it's all heading in the right direction, which we like to see with F1 Academy. Um, people who aren't linked to major Formula One teams, though, um, is Dennis Hauger, who um, is well, he's no longer going to be part of the Red Bull Academy. He'll be flying solo in 2024, and says he'll be fully focused on one thing: the championship, um, which is. Interesting news because, of course, he is how long has he been part of the Red Bull Junior Academy for? Good few years, and it's kind of curious that he's decided to leave now because I'm not sure where he does go if he does win as he intends to next year. Hmm. And more importantly, if he doesn't win, he's kind of shot himself in the foot there because if he did win, it seemed that it'd be an obvious shoe in for Alpha Tariff in 2025, but now that's much less likely. And it's a little bit curious. I mean, I don't want to say Formula E just straight out of the box, but again, I don't know where else he would go because F1 is tricky enough if you win it to begin with, as we've seen from literally every champion. Yeah. And yeah, if you don't win it, good luck. Yeah, I mean, this isn't... You kind only... of need to be part of the Red Bull family because that's the only way Yuki got in the first place. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the only... Well, Yuki got in because of his Honda links as well. But this isn't the only Red Bull junior they've dropped recently as well. We've seen, or there is rumour at the moment going round that um, everyone's favourite Barbudan boy, I believe, is looking to be is set to be dropped by Red Bull, as is Baby Shark. Enzo Fittipaldi is also on the chopping block, reportedly. Nothing's been confirmed yet, but it's um, word coming out of the pens is that... Red Bull's cutting back on its, not necessarily cutting back on its junior program, but making sure it's got the right ones in the right spots. So, uh, hmm, we'll see what happens with very that. Very curious. One. Yeah, very curious. But speaking of uh, academy drivers or junior drivers, we've got news from a different team and a different driver. Yes, much better news, it must be said, because Jamie Chadwick will return to Indy next for 2024, which means the Williams Academy driver will remain stateside to race once again with Andretti in the IndyCar feeder series. And this does potentially line up something interesting because she's putting her eggs in two very different but also very strong baskets for an F1 seat down the line with Williams and Andretti. It's kind of, if she can get herself in an FP1 session maybe next year or the year after with Williams, if Andretti get in in 25 like they want to, then she could always get an FP1 session with them as well. Who knows? And then I wouldn't imagine that she would be one of the first drivers necessarily to be with them when they do enter Formula 1, but potentially if she goes to IndyCar after Indy Next, then they have an experienced driver who has some familiarity with Formula 1 who then could come in a couple of years later, and that would be quite a fun thing to see. But again, we'll take over the good news that it is right now. Indy Next, that's good. 
And uh, there's no there's reason she a... doesn't get a Williams FP1 drive this season because they've still got some uh, to put a rookie in Alex Albon's seat. So we'll wait and see what happens. True, there. true. But uh, that seems quite a logical um, solution to the problems that she's facing at the moment and kind of a good plan to tackle everything that she wants to achieve. Whereas on the flip side of that, there's a Formula 2 drive been confirmed for next year and that's going to be quite a tall order. Yes. Um, this is an interesting one because I believe they're jumping straight from F4 or Freca. Yes. Yeah. So this is a we, this is a step we don't see happening very much these days. Um, we're talking about, of course, Andrea Kimi Antonelli. Uh, very much a hot shoe. I believe Mercedes have him in their very junior driver pool. Um, and he has been signed to Prema for F2 next year. So uh, first driver in the F2 championship confirmed for 2024. And it also begs the question, who's not staying on at the Italian outfit? Uh, this year, they currently have, because they've still got one race to go, uh, Behrman and Vesti signed. So um, which one are they dropping? Or are they dropping both of them and going for an entirely new lineup? Uh, I'd be surprised if they drop Berman. Vesti makes the logical sense just because he either wins the championship and can't come back or he's second and hasn't much else to prove there anyway, so would probably go and be busy somewhere else. But with Kimi, it's a really big jump, like you say, and he kind of has to come out winning races at the very least. Otherwise, what's the point? If he's successful, where does he go in 2025? I can't see a seat being open anywhere that Mercedes would be able to get him into in theory. Maybe Williams, but even then. And if he doesn't win convincingly at least a few races next year, then why did they decide to skip Formula 3? Better to put him in there for a year, F2 for a year, and kind of do a piastri and one year, one year, one year. So mm. it's it's a curious one. It's going to be very interesting to see how that works out. And there's a lot of pressure on him now because, like you say, we don't see the jump from a lower category straight over F3 into F2 very often. Yeah, that's that's a rare move. And like I've been thinking on when you said, what about the when's that F1 seat coming available in, say, 2025? I mean, it relies very much on one of those Williams seats becoming available. Like, unless, of course, someone from someone from Williams moves over to Mercedes to partner George Russell if Hamilton leaves. But I think the most I likely thing... I don't see it happening. The most likely thing is Albon goes to another team um, and opens up what would have been his seat. But he's doing so well at Williams and they're on the up and up. I can't see him looking to leave either. So it's... The head yeah. scratcher. It, there is a lot of head scratching to be done, but it is fantastic to see this talent coming up and getting the recognition. But uh, all will be... As long as it's not too much too soon. Yes, this is very much the case. It is a, it is a big sink or swim with motorsport and... Uh, you sink a lot faster than you can start to swim, unfortunately. So we'll see how that pans out for him. But that's what we've got when it comes to news. When it comes to F1 Academy in Austin, Timo, what, what on earth went down? Tell me. Tell me all the news. Tell me what happened. It was a pretty darn good weekend of racing. And weirdly, but also not weirdly, the feeder series action was arguably a lot better than the Formula 1 action we got, and not just because of the lack of controversy, for the most part. We had two pretty tight qualifying sessions, Marta Garcia claiming pole in Q1, and then Jessica Edgar on pole in Q2 with a phenomenal last lap, just kind of pulling it out of nowhere. And she's been a driver that's been 
quietly going about a business this season and has been getting closer, but we weren't necessarily expecting this at the at the end of the season. And I think she surprised everyone, including herself there, but it was a really great last lap to see and jumbled things up nicely there because she doesn't have or didn't have rather any stake in the championship. So she could just kind of do her own thing and be like, well, you deal with your stuff. Well, I'm going to go and try and win a race on Sunday because that's what I can do. And uh, if you are all as good as you claim to be at the top of the championship, then you, you'll you stop me accordingly. Uh, but we'll get to that because race one did see Garcia on pole and she pretty much led from lights to flag with Abby pulling in P2, keeping her company for the most part, but never really able to do anything about it. Lena Bula P3, which was not close enough to keep her championship hopes alive, which meant that Garcia thus became the inaugural F1 Academy World Champion which uh, it was kind of first to lose coming into the weekend. She had a sizable gap in the championship in terms of a lead, but uh, it was still, you still got to go out there and you still got to do the job at the end of the day. And as a very talented driver, I'm going to be very interested to see where she goes next. And yeah, I think it's going to be one of those cases where I'll be disappointed if it's anything except Formula 3 because that seems to be something that she very much deserves at the moment. And she's an experienced driver already. She had W Series time. She's had a test, I believe, in F3 cars at one point. And now she's won a championship here. If it was a different driver, maybe you could make an argument for a regional championship. But with Garcia, it feels like it'd be a backward step if it's anything except Formula 3. Yeah, I think Frecker has been sort of mentioned, which is at least more of a European generalist thing. And equally, it, it's sort of, Frecker is at least sort of equivalent in a regard because double, uh, F1 Academy is It wouldn't feel like a step F4. up, though. It would just be a step it's, it's step aside. Across, yeah, which I don't think is, is quite right, especially given the performance she's put in this season. She has been, I don't want to say dominant, because that doesn't really put credit on to the other drivers around her, but she's seemed in control for a lot of the time and I think that is worth remarking on and remembering when you're looking at finding her a seat for the upcoming season mm. We then saw Martin P4 Bustamante P5, Jess Edgar in P6, Hamra Alcobasi in P7 Chloe Chong P8, Anna Alcobasi in P9 and Lola Lovenfast rounding out the top 10 There was only one other real point of worth a note in, in race one, and that was a racing incident in T1 between Caceres, Grant, and De Hoos. And uh, it was kind of a case of three doesn't go into one. It was Grant potentially not turning or turning a bit too late into the corner. Caceres very much emulating center and you've got to go for a gap when you see one, and De Hoos kind of just being collateral damage, essentially. And I'm kind of, as, as with it is, I'm glad the incident happened in some ways because it showed that they were all really trying to get the maximum out of the cars and out of their races. And you've got to go for a gap. Otherwise, as the saying goes, you're not really a racing driver. So I'd rather they tried and it didn't quite work out than you just stay in formation your time and time and follow each other around. So I'm glad we kind of, we saw a bit of it. We saw the attempts and this is the time where you make the mistakes. And we saw that with the track limits as well for across the entire weekend, they were much more lenient on it than they would have been ordinarily with other categories. And I think that's just because like, yeah, focus on the racing, hone your craft and we can, iron out those kinks later yeah there's there's great argument that when these collisions happen is because we've got driven racing drivers that are fighting away and i think it's 
it's easy for criticism to come down, especially on the likes of F1 Academy for sort of going, oh, with the drivers or oh, they're really crushed because no, it's you would see that sort of thing in other junior series when you throw them at a circuit with an intense turn one like that. Um, it's a turn one at Cota that's essentially the inverse gradient to Spa's first turn. And think about how many times we've seen F1 come together going through that first turn. It happens. Sure. It happens when you get racing drivers together. So yeah, it's good to see in that regard. Race two then saw Handwalker Basie on reverse pole because they reversed the top eight for the second race from the first qualifying session in F1 Academy. She then went on to win the race, Lena Buda in P2, another podium for her. Solid weekend overall. Jess Edgar in P3. Again, very solid weekend for her, kind of coming not quite out of nowhere, but a pleasant surprise. Pulling then P4, Marty P5, Chung again in the top 10, P6, Bustamante P7, and Lone Foss P8. Uh, interestingly, though, Bustamante and Anna Alcobasi stalled off the start line, but both managed to get going with the former getting into the points, as mentioned, with a really rather impressive drive because she really had to put in quite a, an effort to you know, get the car going again and then calm down because you're obviously going to be frustrated when that happens, catch up to the back of the back, and then overtake a fair amount of drivers to get into the points, especially when it's only the top eight that get points in that second race. Less points available, but you've still got to try and go after them. And go after them, she did, which when you've got Prima battling MP Motorsport at that point for the Constructors' Championship, every point counts. And she managed to rectify her mistake accordingly. Uh, Marta Garcia DNF'd after contact with Nere Marti on lap one. Damaged front wing essentially caused the black and orange flag to be waved at her. But with three laps left at that point, she and Prima decided to retire the car instead. And let's face it, she'd won the championship. So really no reason not to and just do what you want to do and then just go again for, for Sunday's race. So it's a little bit of drama there, but it was a uh, it was fun. But I still think we should maybe reverse more of the, the grid for that second race. But I think that's possibly going to be one of the modifications they make for next year in terms of, I don't know if we'll have three races still or if we'll go down to two and we'll adopt that F2, F3 thing of reversing the top 10. Um, we might see a reduction in races, especially given that we're seeing a... Mm. more crossover with F1 weekends where there's also likely to be other junior series so just simply to fit yeah. it in we saw previously it when make they... much more sense extend the races and just have less of them but then yeah. we saw this when they fall in line with F2 and F3 F2 up to three races on a weekend it was a lot to handle so I, I can imagine yeah. there's going to be a, a similar process where they cut back on the races make them a bit longer and uh, we get a slightly more intense weekend in that regard Race three, then the final race of the season, did see Jessica Edgar convert her pole position into first place, winning her first race of the year in the last race of the year. So better late than never there. Uh, Marty was then in P2, very nice. And Garcia did get P3. So she ended her season and her campaign on a high. So she can't come back next year, as we mentioned earlier on the podcast. Quite a nice way for her to get a bit of a send-off there. Ula P4, another very strong weekend. So wherever she goes next... Sauber can be confident that they've got a strong driver there. And Rockabasi P5, pulling P6 a little bit further down than we were expecting her, maybe. De Hoist P7, Chung again P8 in, in another solid drive in points in all three races. Chloe Grant in P9, and Amna Rockabasi picking up the last point in P10. There was a messy battle, though, between Lovinfoss and Bustamante, which resulted in a collision that somehow gave them both five second penalties. It was kind of the twisty, it's kind of started coming down the back straight and then track limits were already fairly lenient as they were but uh, Lovenfoss seemed to 
push the boundaries of that quite a bit coming into 16, 17-ish, I want to say, maybe 15, 16, and pretty much just cut the corner entirely, drove into the side of Bustamante, and then came on the radio saying, she didn't leave me any room, which, uh, no, no, she was just following the racing line there, Lola, and uh, you made a bit of an oopsie there. They both managed to get their cars going again. I'm not quite sure why Bianca got a five-second penalty of that, considering she just got caught up in car punting off the track and spinning her around and ruining her race, but there we go. Um more interestingly, though, for me was the battle between Ceseres and Jilks because they had a much cleaner, much better battle there. It was firm but fair and great to see drivers further down the field displaying great racecraft and now getting airtime in TV because a lot of the time in F2 and F3 and heck, even in F1 a lot of the time, you don't see a lot of action from further down the field and you see overtakes on the on the leaderboard on the side of the telly, but you don't know how it happened and you've got to maybe wait until after the race before you see anything. So the fact that we've got to see this play out in real time was just really nice and quite fun to see them pushing each other to the limits and testing out. It's a bit like the the incident from the from the previous time. It's just to see them all learning and, and getting to grips with everything as it was unfolding and keeping it clean rather than uh, just driving into your opponent. Yeah, it's it's nice to get those overtakes on camera and actually get an, a clear image of what the action is that you're enjoying. And it's an important to sort of keep an eye on these races because a lot is going on with regards to it. The feeder series races are often closer because you have these more spec-specific cars and the net result is there is a lot to take in. It's, it's great that the TV direction is taking that seriously as well as sort of a lot of other things around this, this aspect of sport. Yeah, and again, with, with with all the drivers getting points this year and so many of them getting on the podium, so many different race winners, but again, having a driver as dominant as Marta Garcia there, there's and with the lead that she then had at the end of the at the end of the championship, you could be very much at risk of not seeing as much of everything else as you want to. Admittedly, we didn't see most of it because it wasn't on live TV, but you know where I'm coming from. And the fact that we did get to see a little bit of everything throughout the field and there was a good bit of switching around between that in all three races as well shows that yeah good race direction they realize the value of the drivers and i hope that's something that continues as as we go on into 2024 very much but for me the driver that stood out was i'm going to go for a slightly left field choice even though it makes sense in a way is handrock basically p7 p1 and p5 securing her p3 in the championship was a solid end to the season but the reason I've highlighted her particularly was because she was dealing with some re-emergence of her pre-season hand injury, which, if you recall, she broke her hand in the F4 UAE Championship in the final race of that season, which she still managed to get points considering she did that, which was quite impressive. But it was giving her a bit of uh, grief this weekend, and she had a bit of uh, plaster, or not quite plaster, but she had some kind of medical tape or something on her hand, and it was giving her a bit of bit of a bother by the looks of things. So she was quite emotional after winning that race, and considering the pain she was having to endure during that, I thought she deserved a bit of a shout-out for that one. I think it was, I think I caught this bit, and it was she had rubbed a blister on her hand uh, through an earlier racing session, and um, it had simply been sort of taped to protect it and stop it rubbing further. So it was, uh, yeah, still not comfortable, but racing through the pain, uh, yeah, credit where it's due. I think drivers put themselves through some incredible things. We certainly saw that with F1 in Qatar. And uh, again, uh, a racing series like every other in that regard, it is like a proper racing series because it is one, because the drivers are pushing themselves through sort of the physical things that go wrong with being a racing driver. Again, it's one of those things that's so normal to see and therefore it's great. 
And I do think as well, it's it's more proof that all of the drivers that we well, phrase that another way, the drivers that aren't returning next year, fair enough, we know the reasons why they're not, but all the ones that are able to still be there next year all deserve to be there. They've all proven their metal at one point or another throughout the season. And I'll be interested to see who the new four or five drivers are when they come in. Hopefully it's people we've never really heard of because then it will prove that F1 Academy is doing its thing. But I don't think it should be a detriment to any of the drivers that we see on the grid this year because they've all had high moments. And in a way that they were saying on the coverage for F1 Academy, it's a shame that um, Marta Garcia can't stay there next year because of how good that partnership with F1 and the F1 teams will be for those drivers and those teams. And they all deserve that. And hopefully Marta doesn't fall victim to that by being too good too soon. Mm. Um, so fingers Here's crossed a- that everything falls the right way there. Here's a question. If she were to sign up with a team, which one do you think she'd go with? Which, which direction do you think she'd aim for? It's tricky to put a pin on that. I've been trying to predict roughly on on kind of the teams that they stay with, who they've got partnerships with further up in F3, F2 and F1 and seeing that kind of thing. So I still like her to stay with Prima for F3 if she goes there, which she should, which then by extension would mean Sauber, Haas or Ferrari. Yes, and yeah. considering Carlos Sainz came out to congratulate her on winning the championship, I'll go for Ferrari for that one. But considering that that's not going to be the case, I think if Chloe Chong stays there, because Bianca Bustamante is going over to ART, then maybe she can be the, as she's going to be the more experienced driver there potentially, if no one from the rest of the grid switches. And then she should be potentially the Ferrari driver for next year. But who honestly knows? I can't predict that one bit. So this means that at the end of the 2023 championship, Marta Garcia did indeed win the championship with 278 points to her name. Lena Bula in P2 with 222 points and Hamdra Alcabasi in P3 with 207 as a result of all of that as well, Prima won the team's championship with 419 points to their name, MP Motorsport in second, just eight points behind on 411, and then Rodin Carlin rounding out the top three with 322 points. Hmm, interesting. That was it. That was the point I was going to raise. Did you see how many of the F1 drivers are actually quite invested in the F1 Academy? I think it was quite interesting to see. We yeah, had George not, Russell doing not, the not, enough of them. Not enough of them, but certainly some interesting ones we saw. We obviously George Russell doing podium presentation, Esteban Ocon was pottering around, keeping on going on with things. Carlos Sainz was out there with some congratulations. Yeah, it was it was Lewis mainly Hamilton as well. Just the four of them because over the course of the weekend, Susie Wolf did come out and say it's she was a little bit disappointed, I think, in the lack of attention that the F1 drivers were giving them. And it's it sounded bad like it's always Lewis. It's like, yeah, it's really nice to still have Lewis there, but it would be nice to have a few others. And George was there. He did hand out the trophies for one of the races. Esteban, I think he was there for qualifying one to give the, the obligatory tire to Marta Garcia. And Carlos Sainz, as I said, had come out to congratulate Marta Garcia as a fellow Spaniard for winning the championship. But interestingly for me, Lewis, he put up little videos of all 15 drivers on his social media as well as where to watch the racing over the course of the weekend. And it's such a small thing to do, but it means a lot that I don't see why all of the other teams and drivers couldn't do that just to at least show their support, considering that they're all going to have to be more invested in it next year as a whole, have a driver associated with them. And for such a small thing, I don't see why they, they, they just couldn't do that because it seems a pretty easy open goal to score just for the sake of just do it. Why, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I think the question of why wouldn't you do it is is definitely an interesting one. And 
I don't know. I think maybe some of them had media duties, and this potentially then your argument is: again, you know, not take it seriously enough. Yeah, did F one not take it seriously enough, or did teams not take it seriously enough to appropriately plan and schedule? It'll be interesting to see how all that planning and scheduling pans out uh, come next year when they've all got an extra little driver to consider. One thing I do hope we then see next year as part of that is that when the teams and the liveries for next year all get announced, because we should know the F1 Academy drivers well before the start of the F1 season, is that the ones associated with the teams, when, say, Bianca should be there when McLaren unveiled their livery and their car, they should be they should all be together in the same way that uh, Mercedes had all of their junior drivers there at their car launch earlier this year. These sorts of things, I think that would be a very easy way of establishing they are part of the team we're supporting this year if you didn't know about this now you do go and watch it go and support it and if you don't at the very least we're covered because we've done what we should have done which is very easy open goal no-brainer stuff Mm. yeah i think that's that's what we're looking at i think so solid first season for f1 academy we are very much looking forward to next season there's going to be seven rounds over the course of the year starting and ending with formula one or supporting f1 weekends and a lot potentially going on there and the guarantee of a new champion because we don't have Marta Garcia. So fingers crossed that it will be just as exciting as this year and we will get to see all of it next time. But that is all we have time for on this week's So Join us again soon. We'll be reviewing rather the Mexican Grand Prix. So make sure you've liked, subscribed and got notifications turned on to not miss anything. In the meantime, though, Jesse, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as at Jesse on Cars, as well as writing for Classic Car Weekly. Our next issue is out on Wednesday, which I'm assuming is when this episode is probably going to go live. Um, so be sure to pick up a copy of that if you can. It's got a road test from me behind the wheel of a custard yellow Rover SD1, which would be quite good. As for myself, you can find me over on Is It Fast on the Curbs, the Nitro RX podcast, Alex Rodgy, and Instagram. All the details for both of us and for Ellie Mae, if you want to go and follow her about on Instagram, will be in the description below to this episode. So do go and check those out. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Bye.